Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's latest and greatest fangirl radio show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and this weekend um, we are all celebrating the awesome release that is Black Panther. Uh, I saw it on opening night, um, one of the last showings. It was packed at 11.30 at night. That gives you an idea of how huge this movie is. Fantastic film. There's so much going on and so many amazing messages within it that um, I just was blown away by how good it was. Uh, There's so many levels to this movie. Um, You know, of course, it is an awesome kick-ass action comic book film. But there's also uh, levels of class and um, uh, racism and talking about, you know, the the way things are around the world, not just in this country, but around the world when it comes to um, the class systems and things like that. It just, it's such a great, great film. And Ryan Coogler and um, company really did a great job creating uh, a bad guy that was relatable and you could get where he was raging from with um, Michael B. Jordan's Eric Killmonger and, um, it just was a really amazing flick. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, just the things that they talked about, it shows um, like uh, it's such a good year for this film to be released because of um, what we're seeing with the Oscars and how uh, genre films like this, especially you know geek cinema, if you will, uh, that a lot of people call this type of thing, isn't just you know, laser beams and robots and whatever, and, and, you know, D&D players and what a lot of people looked at upon it. Um, It has a message, and it's a way of getting that message across even more subtly, I guess you could say, um, and getting away with things and talking about issues that uh, wouldn't normally be able to get on screen as well as talking to kids and, and, and showing kids and, and, uh, this type of story, uh, even though you might not think that young kids grasp this, they will, and they'll see it and they get heroes that are, um, decent and complex. And the other part of this movie that was so fantastic that I wasn't expecting was the women in it were just as badass and as equal um, in terms of not just screen time, but powerhouse um, performances and, and just wh- how important they were to the story. You had Lupita Nyong'o's Nakia, who was just fantastic. Danae Guerrera just kicked ass in this. Um, and Letitia Wright, I freaking loved her. She played Shuri, who's uh, T'Challa's sister who's the brains of of all of Wakanda she just just amazing I want her to have her own spinoff in the worst way because she was just funny and fun and smart just fantastic and I know she's coming back in Infinity War um, but she's also co-starring in Ready Player One I just loved her. She was fantastic in this so much. Um, And also, by the way, she was in Doctor Who. So uh, all around great um, uh, geek actress that we love. And you could tell she was just enjoying the hell out of this too, which I I really loved so much. Um, 
And then you had Andy Serkis coming back as his sleazy um, claw character. Forrest Whitaker was in there. I mean, everybody was just fantastic in this. And I, I really, really, really enjoyed this film. I want to go back and watch it again because there's just so much going on. And it's just so pretty. And it's just beautifully shot. And great, great flick. It's kicking ass at the box office. Um, they've already planned a bunch of spinoffs and things for this film. Um, it's two hours and 14 minutes long, which it doesn't feel it at all. It's There's so much going on in it, and um, it's paced really well. And like I said, the, the action sequences are just beautiful. Um, I loved how they dressed the the characters in this especially um the Nigrera's outfit in the scenes where she's jumping around it, her dress billowing behind her just she looks like a warrior flower i guess is the best way to describe some of this which sounds bizarre but when you see it you'll know what i'm talking about um but i really really loved it the music's great the soundtrack kicks ass too just a fantastic film um it's just got everything going for it and uh, i really really enjoyed this movie i love that kids are are um flocking to see it they should um it also uh there's some just the actors that are involved you can tell they're having a blast doing this film and they realize just how important it is as a movie um for what it's it's got on its shoulders and it carries it it has a lot of weight on its shoulders and it carries it very well um, and so this is why I thought this would be the perfect episode to showcase an interview that I had the honor of um, talking to uh, Chris Claremont, um, who a lot of, of us who read comics have a lot to um, owe this guy and, uh, in, in terms of Marvel and getting messages out there within the stories and showcasing characters and and representation and the x-men are definitely one of those very very important properties that did that um and so i got to interview chris claremont because there is a wonderful documentary that came out this month uh called chris claremont's x-men and it gives us the background and story of how his run with that comic um happened and it's amazing to hear the story and how it was to work at Marvel during that time, as well as the fact that there was so many women and that were um, involved with it that you might not realize and how, um, how important they were in the process. And uh, Claremont is, is great in giving them the props that they're due and them showing the importance of it. And uh, it was a fantastic interview. I would have loved to have talked to him more, um, but you need to check out the documentary. It is available now, I believe, on VOD. And it's it's a great history lesson of one of the most important runs in the Marvel Comics universe and one of the most important properties in all of comics, actually. Uh, and uh, it goes hand-in-hand hand with Black Panther because of what the X-Men represented and showed and um, the representation within it and the diversity, as well as, you know, Storm ends up marrying the Black Panther, so I wonder how that's going to work out in the, in the movie universe, because <laughs> uh, she's not in this yet, um, and Nakia's there, so going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Anyway, um, I want you guys to enjoy this interview. I was really excited to do it. Um, it's kind of a shorter episode this time around, but I think you'll enjoy it. Um, 
and uh, we will see you next week on Fangirl Radio. Hopefully the whole crew will be with me, but I think you'll enjoy this episode, um, especially this interview segment. Uh, it's a great, great interview with Chris, and um, it's fantastic to get to talk to a legend in the world of comic books like this, and uh, he lives up to it, so enjoy. Thank you. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine. I- I am doing fantastic. Um, I know I don't have you for very long, and I've got a lot of pretty lengthy questions for you because... Uh Uh-oh, I'll talk fast (laughs) if I can. (laughs) No worries. So um, I'm just, it's an honor to to finally get to talk to you, and and especially after watching the documentary. um, I mean, the... the, the, The relevance of, uh, you know, what you've done in comics is just amazing. And uh, one thing I wanted to find out from you is, because after watching this, it seems very important in your work that you've worked with a lot of amazing women and you give a lot of props to females and women in the in the industry, which is which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In a world of comics, and particularly in fandom and and, and the world of uh, uh, the geek world, it's mm-hmm. with the with comics like the X Men and the work you did. What do you think about the attitudes that seem to be still so prevalent in the industry and in in the in fandom in general with men um, against women? Um, with things, you know, not all of them, but with things like Gamergate and, and, and the attitudes, how is it that they can have that kind of attitude and still love what you wrote? Men, you mean, or women? Men. Oh. I, I, it seems like the message the was flip, lost. Uh, the flip answer is sheer dumb luck. The the <laughs> The, I suppose, more hopeful answer is that attitudes, beliefs, perceptions don't change like a they're hit from a from an Asgard, hit by an Asgardian lightning bolt. Sometimes it has to be a gradual learning curve. And it's sadly much more challenging to embark on a learning curve from the upper ends of the pyramid rather than from the lower. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's easier to see the way up rather than the way down or the way right rather than the way left. I'm not sure of the metaphor anymore. <laughs> but um, it, for me, it's basically a matter of, well, just keep trying until everybody either gets the message or what but that that was you know that i don't you know it it's not it's just unfortunately sad. it's it's not an absolute given because uh a lot of people find it easier just to walk away from comics altogether um as like sales in the last 15 years have proven uh, for me, the, the challenge would be to find ways to tell stories and create characters and promote situations that draw people back. And that means writing stories about recognizable individuals and circumstances that, yes, can be fantastic, but have 
a foundation in in the lives of the readers that they can look at this and say, "Oh, heck, I know that. I've been there. I've had that conversation. Holy cow! Oh, is that what it's like on the other side? Oh boy." That's a fantastic. Something along those lines. That's a fantastic answer, and and kind mm. of bouncing off of that, you know, the relevance of what you did with X Men in the world um, today is still so relevant. Like it, it, it just well, it, you know, the attitudes and things, especially what's going on in our country right now. Uh, it just seems really telling. Well, I have to say, it, it felt it felt a lot more triumphant let's say in january of 12 mm-hmm. you know but you win some you'll <laughs> january of 8 sorry not 12 uh no, all- so it's like i said it's a everything is a is a work in progress um you know it, it's after kennedy came nixon after nixon came carter after carter came reagan you know, it, it's America is a yin yang circumstance. Um, you know, everyone everyone was happy. Well, a majority of of Brit, Brits were happy with being in the EU until suddenly they discovered people weren't. Yeah. And now everyone has to deal with the consequences. It's unfortunately. Humanity has a, a ridiculous capacity to confound all expectations. That's you know, a great quote. I, I and my generation thought we'd, we'd finished international foolishness with the fall of Saigon. And, you know, then, then you had Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld hellbent to get back into Iraq and finish what H.W. Uh, started. And as you can see, it hasn't quite worked out the way everybody hoped. Yeah, so unfortunately, it's, it's far easier to slip back than to keep forging ahead. But I suspect the, the challenge, that creates the challenge for, among other people, writers, and, and surprisingly writers of, of fantasy, uh, superheroes even, because we deal with ideals to keep forging ahead and keep trying to create circumstances and characters and worlds that the audience can identify with, but also embrace in the positive sense. Well, and and that's one thing I've always appreciated about your work and also about the sci-fi genre and fantasy and horror genres in general is you can get a lot of metaphor in there and you can also get a message across that you normally wouldn't be able to do without it feeling like a mallet to the head and it, it's mm-hmm. it's a wonderful tool for that and you you used it beautifully with x-men and and i think it's like i said it's it's just as relevant now with uh things and it's mm-hmm. it, it it's great to see it happen thank you um, I mean, and, the, 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 one, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No. Oh no, I. You talk. It's all about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was just thinking back to a, a John Brunner story I'd read years ago, which is a wonderful story, but it it it's science fiction and it's about an archaeological uh, uh, ex, 
uh, exploration on a far distant planet, and the protagonist is a Jesuit priest, and he's a historian, and he's researching this, you know, he's discovered that the civilization that died here was, was magnificent, it was wonderful, it was peaceful, it was brilliant, but the planet was consumed by a supernova. Its, its star went critical, and that was that. And the punchline of the story is his discovery and realization that from where the, the star is and from the dates involved, this was the star of Bethlehem. Oh, wow. And how, can, how could God sacrifice this wonderful race just to shine the light on Jesus? And how can he reconcile his faith in one with the actions of the other? Holy and crap. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't resolve it. It's just he has a question. And for me, that was, that's, that's what makes science fiction wonderful. It, it's, it's coming back to basics and finding a way to, to reframe the question in ways that force you to figure out what's what. That was why writing Kurt Wagner, Nightcrawler, was so much fun for me because as a person of faith, his questions are substantially answered. I mean, even more so now since he's died, gone to heaven, and come back. I mean, that, that, was, that was something I really wanted to kind of play with when I was, had the opportunity, just from the point of view of saying, of Kurt realizing, how can I go to my, to my friend, the priest, and how can we talk? What am I going to do? Hi, I died, went to heaven, and discovered, yes, there is heaven, and angels, and God is real. I mean, is it a good thing or a bad thing, from Nightcrawler's point of view, to, to, to say that? Because it, in a way, it takes away the whole point of That's faith. Great. To know oh, yeah, a, a true answer like that. Oh, well, it, it was an intriguing, for me, it would have been an intriguing way to play with the character. But, that, but that's the essence of Kurt, is that, that he is a person of faith. And from his perspective is the fact that he looks like a demon. Hey, God works in mysterious ways, the wonders to perform. And who is, who is Kurt to argue? He just, his role is to play the hand he's dealt and find a way as the cliche goes to win and that's again that's what makes these characters for me so much fun is that you can come at the questions from so many different directions some of them are outrageously fantastic but others of them are primal and real world and the more one can anchor a character like Nightcrawler, for example, in the real world, the more relevant one can make him to the audience who's reading the books, hopefully, the more they will in- embrace the book and the character and have a good time and want, and want to see more of, you know, want to see what happens next with him. And learn something again or her, different or perspectives. Them. Well, to have fun, but mm-hmm. along the way learn things. Yeah. Because that's... that's that, what books do best stories do best 
Yeah, and, and by the way, Nightcrawler is one of my favorite characters because of, of just all of that. I, I He epitomizes that outsider thing so well, but the understanding outsider that he knows more than you do. <laughs> yeah, but for me, his future history is he... He does indeed become an Academy Award-winning movie star. He's <laughs> just—he just loves it. I, I would be all and about And people that. love him. He's fantastic. Well, I love you him know, so much. wouldn't it be great if Tom Hanks were blue and furry and <laughs> still funny as hell? That would be Tom Hanks in the next Avatar. <laughs> uh, it could happen. I'd, I'd the makeup that. people would hate it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So one thing um, I, I wanted to talk to you about in regards to as, mm-hmm. as a writer is you, um, how do you keep track? Because you're known for having just vast storylines that, that you've managed mm-hmm. to encapsulate and do. What is it like in your head or what kind of filing system do you have to keep track of these and where characters are? Because that's something I've just always been fascinated about with the stories that are like this. Lots and lots and lots of notebooks. Uh, That's what I do. Lots of notebooks. (laughs) All of which are now in the the Rare Books Archive at Columbia University. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I mean that, but that's it. I mean, I, as a, as it is now, I'm I'm sketching out a story, but I'm doing it on notepads. You know, the first draft on notepads, and I type it up, and then I get out another notepad and scribble notes, and then I type that up and keep going until I get it finished. But you- the advantage of of notepads is that you can scribble, you can draw, you can curl them up and throw them away. The dog can eat them. All sorts of things. Do you find that? And, that's, but unlike computers, they don't run out of batteries. Well, and that's one thing I was going to ask you is you feel like, because I use a lot of notebooks too uh, for things and, and, and especially for writing and notes and, and, and ideas. Do you feel like the physical mm-hmm. thing of, of actually writing it out keeps it more in your mind or helps you in some way? Because it's better to me to do it like that instead of doing it on a computer directly. Well, I mean, I have, for better or worse, I when I started all I could work on was a manual typewriter. So, yeah, writing was easier. My, fist, my fingers weren't being hammered by the keys. Gotcha. And I can, you know, if, if I wanted to do a rewrite, all I had to do was draw lines through my, my, draw lines on the paper and start again, whereas on a typewriter, you just, you know, you either throw the page away or just hope you remember where, where to hook in. Though I, the other thing I recall was I I sent my first novel out to a typist so she'd do a perfect looking draft that I could submit to uh, the publisher. And uh, five hundred pages and seven hundred dollars later, oh. she gave me back a manuscript that where she had faithfully reproduced every glitch and mistake I'd made. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, you know, it, life is a learning curve. That's all <laughs> yeah. the only answer. Yikes. So w- when I'm writing longhand, at least, there's, there's, I have great, a, a more comprehensive sense of control for what that's worth. <laughs> So the other thing that I noticed that um, I, I feel close 
very similar to is when you were talking in the documentary about torturing characters. And my mm-hmm. motto is the more you love a character, the more they have to suffer. Why are we that way? Why do we want to see the um, ones that we like the best be in the worst situations? Well, I think, you know, Shakespeare was learning from Aeschylus. God knows who Aeschylus was learning from. We are put on this earth to, we are put on this page to suffer. <laughs> to <laughs> suffer makes, <laughs> makes the happy ending worth winning. I like you know, that. Um, the paradigm has been around for, I guess, since Cain hit a- Abel, probably an argument over copyright. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's the way it is. Uh, nothing, nothing. It seems that comes from the heart, regardless of of how it gets presented, comes at at, at its fundamental level easy. Whether one is, you know, Mickey Spillane or Van Gogh, you know, Shakespeare or Aeschylus, as I said. Um, it, you know, um, Julius Caesar or, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. I mean, it just, it, you just, you just have to keep charging through the, charging down the path until you, 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 I guess, come to a victorious end or a catastrophe, but one way or the other, you just have to keep moving forward. Um, for me, it's easier because the, in one respect, because the battle is, is waged on a piece of paper and the only thing at stake is my ego. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I guess next month's rent. But um, it's, it, it's no less, from the inside looking out, it's no less primal, it's no less passionate, it's no less uh, all or nothing than, than any other... Uh, seminal conflict. You just have to keep trying until you either get it right or you get hammered. And if you, even if we get hammered, you have to just pick yourself off, coin a cliche, dust yourself off, and start all over again. So one thing that I wanted to, I guess this is the way to end it, is now we know that the X-Men are coming back to Marvel due to this deal that they have struck with Fox. You know where this well, is going. Well, God willing, and the crick don't rise. I, you know, <laughs> if the just if the Department of Justice jumps in and says, you know, restraint of trade, I'll, I'll my head will explode. But there you go. Um, would you be interested? I know this is something that I would love to see. Would you be interested in coming back and writing a screenplay for an X Men film with them? I've been interested in writing a screenplay for the X Men film for twenty five years since we started talking about this. Actually, since since Stan and I met with James Cameron back in 1988 and Cameron pitched us Catherine Bigelow to direct X-Men <laughs> and we're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Stan started uh, talking about uh, Spider-Man and that was that. Uh, Cameron so- was a big Spider-Man fan and the X-Men just shriveled up and died. Oh, man. But uh, no, I mean, yes, that's, that goes without saying, but that's not my, that's, a, so not my call, and B, who knows how this is all going to shake out in terms of the X-Men, have, there's already a, 
a production structure in place uh, derived from Fox, uh, going back to Lauren Schuler Donner and company when you know when they the Donner company when they set up the production on X Men in the first place back when you know back in ninety eight. Mm-hmm. So how that will proceed over the next three, four, five, ten, fifteen years, who the heck knows? Um, I'm sure there are a lot, a lot of thoughts and discussions going on, or maybe none at all. I have no idea. With Kevin Feige and and uh, all relevant parties at Marvel and Fox and Donner and and what have you, um, I suspect everyone will be looking to see how the X Men movie will do uh, in November. Um, Simon Kinberg's adaptation of Dark Phoenix. Um, I'm certainly eager. I also suspect that that given you know fitting the X-Men canon into the already incredibly crowded and successful uh, Marvel slash Disney pantheon is going to be an interesting challenge. Um, you know the, the buzz on Black Panther is breathtaking. Uh, and as rightly so. So your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I, I would suspect any answer I could give will undoubtedly be overwhelmed by reality a split second after I say it. Um, if for no other reason than, you know, how many people were confident of one outcome election day last year and how many people were heartbroken the day after? Or vice versa. This is true. You know, so uh, the one the one reality that one can take away from experience is whatever one hopes for or fantasizes about or wishes, fate has a way of confounding all your expectations, hopefully for better, sometimes for worse. Other times and most times, it's just like, wow, never saw that one coming. Wonder what, whoa. So, you know, you just keep on, keep on trucking and see where it leads. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This has been a joy to talk to you. And I'd love to talk to you again because I've still got things I want to pick out of your brain. Well, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So <laughs> if, if you do, just drop, you know, drop me an email and we'll work something out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate you taking the time. The pleasure was mine. Thank you very much for taking the time yourself.